You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. The only times where you'll hear me tell a runner that I'm working with that they're probably going to need to stop is if they incur a bony stress injury. That was Dr. Colleen Bruff. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi everyone, hope your summer is off to a good start, and you found ways to stay fit, healthy, chill, and decompress. It's time to let the sun shine in. Thanks for all your direct messages and emails. Glad to hear you're enjoying our June Running Focus, which kicked off with Noon Hydration CEO, Kevin Rutherford, followed by best-selling, world-renowned endurance sports author, running and triathlon coach, Matt Fitzgerald, and today's guest, Dr. Colleen Brough. I cannot stress enough the importance of hydration, mindset, goal setting, and technique when it comes to training and running. Now is a really great opportunity to focus on your form, reframe your training goals, and keep on moving. As a recently minted triathlon coach and lifelong athlete, I speak from personal experience, which is why I am very excited to connect you with today's guest. Dr. Colleen Bruff is the director and founder of Columbia Run Lab, a premier running performance lab offering a highly specialized running analysis experience for Olympic, elite, competitive, and recreational teams and runners. Columbia Run Lab offers state-of-the-art, in-depth evaluation and education for runners who want to optimize their performance, help prevent, and manage injuries. Originally from the New York City area, Dr. Bruff, also a lifelong athlete and avid runner, and she has been an active member of New York Roadrunners and Frontrunners New York. Dr. Bruff is also an assistant professor of rehabilitation and regenerative medicine at CUIMC in Columbia University's programs in physical therapy. She is an orthopedic specialist certified by the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialists with over 15 years of clinical and teaching experience. She teaches applied physiology and lectures on orthopedics in the Columbia University doctoral program in physical therapy. On this episode, I sync up with Colleen about where her journey into physical therapy began, the pivotal moment that shaped her career, the path that led her to running, and the inspiration behind Columbia Run Lab. We talk about her strategies for injury prevention and boosting run performance, her philosophy around rehabilitating runners while keeping them moving, the mechanical hallmarks of runners that are prone to injury. And we do a deep dive into foot striking, ground contact angles, knee flexion, and overstriding. Dr. Bruff offers insight on DIY, at-home, running analysis tactics that are easy to follow. She shares how you can recognize your mileage and pace tipping point, discover the mechanical issues that may be driving your injury, 
and a few ideas on how you can optimize your running performance. I'm looking forward to dialing you in to our conversation. Additionally, Columbia Run Lab prides itself on student development and community outreach as part of its program. They work with organizations that support restricted access, underserved, and special needs running groups throughout the community to provide this clinical experience free of charge. Students from the Columbia University Irving Medical Center Doctor of Physical Therapy program are selected as part of an elective class for the opportunity to support Columbia Run Lab. They are a faculty practice of the graduate program in physical therapy at the Department of Rehabilitation and Regenerative Medicine at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. To learn more about Columbia Run Lab, you can go to ps.columbia.edu or you can email runlab at cumc.columbia.edu. I highly recommend doing some kind of run analysis while we are in this time where there aren't any races and we can reframe our focus and goals. I hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do, please head over to the Apple Podcast app, scroll through the Marnie on the Move episodes and click on five stars, then click on write a review and share what you love about the episode. Also, you can DM us on Instagram, share in your stories, the episodes that you're listening to and tag us and sign up for our newsletter on MarnieOnTheMove.com. Now, on to our episode. And of course, before we get started, a word about our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. How did you get into physical therapy? How did that begin for you? Interestingly, I was slated for finance, the finance world. I come from a family. They, many worked on Wall Street and I was headed in that direction and I didn't think that I could take the self-loathing. <laughs> and so I was an athlete my whole life and I, I had a number of physical therapy experiences as, as a young person. And I thought, what an exceptional way to spend your day. Like that just seems so interesting to me. I enjoy talking to people. I just like you, I, I really enjoy hearing people's stories. And I think in every rehabilitation experience, there is an incredible story to unravel. 
and so I, I had some PT experiences of my own and I, it perked my interest. I always enjoyed exercise science. I teach applied physiology now as a professor and it was always interesting to me. I came from a family of exercisers, but the pivotal moment in fact was when a relative of mine, my aunt was skiing and she had a fall and fell 10 feet off of the mountain and landed in a concrete drainage pipe. And she was at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. And she was there for nine months and she had really damaged her spinal cord and was paralyzed. And it was a really difficult time. And she walked out. And I remember thinking, that is what I want to do. And so I was fortunate as a graduate student to have, you know, an experience at Kessler and I started my physical therapy career in uh, inpatient neurological rehabilitation because I was so interested in spinal cord injury. And, you know, my own interests and, and specialization kind of went from there and I, I moved toward orthopedics. But I actually think that there's such a beautiful interplay between neurological PT and orthopedic PT. It's been a dream ever since. It's been a very charmed career. That's so inspiring. And I know you're also an avid runner. Where did running begin for you? Oh, you know, it's so interesting. I was, I came to running as a reluctant runner. I had played team sports pretty much my whole life through high school and college. And I found that I was always injured. I had a lot of musculoskeletal injuries that were frustrating, that sidelined me. And then I met my wife and she was an accomplished marathoner and triathlete. And I started shifting my focus more toward wellness and overall health. And I started to really build my own endurance experiences and started running. And I found there was a real draw for me, specifically in the area of mental resilience and grit. Mm -hmm. I think, right? I mean, I yeah. think these endurance sports require something that's different than the other sports that I played throughout my life. And it was an area of weakness for me. And I found a lot of parallels between building that type of mental toughness and my career trajectory. And I found that there were a lot of parallels and, and overlaps that were really useful. And so I, I've really come to love running on all of these different levels. And at, the, at around the same time that I started running myself, maybe like 15 years ago now, I started to get referrals of runners here and there. I was working as a physical therapist in a sports medicine practice. So you were practicing physical therapy before you met your wife and before you started running. Yes. I had been practicing probably for about seven or eight years before I started getting a lot of running referrals. And it was fun. I mean, I I did a lot of really interesting, fun things. I worked in acute care. So I saw patients on the inpatient side. I did outpatient orthopedic physical therapy. I got a couple of specialty degrees and, and went for a board certification. And then I got like a trickling of runners, maybe like six or seven years into my career. And I found that I treated them and I was maybe the fourth or fifth PT that they saw. And then they went right on to the sixth or seventh PT because I wasn't able to help them at all. And this happened maybe like once or twice. And I remember thinking, well, this is totally unacceptable. And so I turned toward what running research was available at the time and sort of pieced together what I found in the literature to come up with a different way of managing runners than I had been. 
And I never had so much success in getting patients better, in keeping runners on the road and not having to tell them, which I hear so many providers say that they just have to stop running or why don't you just running is even more popular and especially true for female runners. That's what makes you a runner and an endurance athlete is there is no such thing as no, like it's not an option, right? I agree. And I think you have to really understand the athletes that you're working with. They tell me what they need, right? I mean, if you just listen, it's all there and they're telling you what they need. And so, you know, you're really guiding them as to how to manage the injury. And so, for example, some runners will say, well, I just have to make it through this race, right? Right. That's our focus. Here's how I'm going to help you make it through this race. And then the other side, we're going to need to do a little bit of intensive rehab to, to manage this on a more larger scale. Or some runners will say, look, I have this injury. I just started running. I want to do this right. Please help me develop my forms so that I don't have recurring injuries, right? I mean, I, I think what the runner's own goals are really kind of dictate and drive, you know, how it is that you're going to help them which I think is kind of cool. Which is what makes you really good at what you do is being able to manage the physical rehabilitation of runners. Yeah, and really personalize it. I, I think I, I see, I've seen a lot of running analysis programs that are very scripted and sort of one size fits all. And when I started Columbia Run Lab, that it was the exact opposite direction of what I what I wanted to do and what I thought the potential of an educational platform like that could be, right? I mean, we're all... As runners, we're all so hungry for our for our own like running metrics, our data, right? Yes. And I think it's so interesting when you merge science of it, personalize it to the runner that's in front of you. It's a really delicate balance, in my opinion. As much as I read the New York Times, you know, running section, right? And as much as as there's so much data out there, we have nothing that actually predicts whether or not a runner is going to get injured. And we have nothing... That's absolute that says, well, if you do this, this will definitely get you better. Right. And so I think there's hard to it. And and I like that. I'm I'm not uncomfortable in that space of not being sure. I actually really enjoy leaning right into that and going on that experience with the runners that I get to work with and figure it out and really fine tune it to them. When did you launch Columbia Run Lab? I came on as full-time faculty at Columbia University in 2014. And within probably two weeks of being there, the chairman of our department had given me a call. And I thought it was just a kind welcome conversation, like welcome to the, you know, the faculty. And it was, but immediately he commented, you know, I noticed that you were a part of launching a running analysis lab at your former institution. What are your interests in doing that here? And so right out of the gate, It was like a dream come true, to be perfectly honest. And so I started working on it in maybe 2014, 2015, and we launched in the fall of 2016. And then you were just launching a second location. That's right. Just this past spring, we've been working on launching at Weill Cornell Medical Center. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a Columbia Run Lab at Cornell and Run Lab at Columbia as well. And so we'll have an East and a West campus. And We have a faculty practice where we're going to be launching in the next maybe year or so at a run lab up in Tarrytown. So we'll have run lab at Tarrytown, run lab at Cornell, and run lab at 
Columbia. That's amazing. And did you do research around where runners would go to do the running analysis and assessment? And is that why you're opening at those locations, east side, west side, and then outside the city? That's a great, that's a great question. It was more of opportunity. I had the opportunity through relationships that I built over at Cornell and through that opportunity, it, it just seemed like a really excellent fit. And then we recently opened a Columbia University physical therapy program, faculty practice in Tarrytown, and that also seems like a natural fit. It's really, it's very exciting. And now you work with all kinds of runners, from Olympians to recreational runners. How does running analysis help with injury prevention and increase performance? I have to say that I, I really enjoy working with runners of all levels. I like truly and genuinely I do because in my experience running means so many different things to different people right I mean for some of us it's it's freedom and for others it's you know it provides mental health and certainly it provides fitness and wellness and for others it's their job and it keeps them competitive so there are all these different whys that people are invested in running and for the newbie runners I find that helping them start their running program with really optimizing their running mechanic sets them up well so that as they start to build their mileage and increase their pace, we hope and aim to decrease the likelihood of getting injured. If we turn towards the running literature, for example, there very clearly are these hallmarks of those runners who get injured and those who do not get injured. If we just look globally, for example, if I take a handful of runners who are injured with some lower extremity injury, regardless of what that lower extremity injury is, whether it's you know hip flexor strain, Achilles strain, high hamstring strain, right? I mean, Runner's World always, always publishes their big seven running injuries. And that's very consistent with the running injuries that I tend to see in the, in the patients that I treat. What's interesting is that regardless of which of those specific injuries the runner is presenting with, they tend, those runners who have some sort of lower extremity injury, tend to present with specific running mechanics or really pathomechanics, meaning their, their knee tends to really drift in as they put their, their weight on their leg and their hip tends to really drop. These are what are termed our medial collapsers. Good running, safe running, is a balance between mobility and freedom of moving and you know, being able to absorb shock and having stability and stiffness. And so we tend to see these medial collapsers really as you load that one side, they start to collapse in. And so if we can identify that early on, in my experience, runners tend to do very well, meaning there's nothing that says, well, if you get rid of this, what's called dynamic knee valgus, where that knee really drifts in a lot, or you get rid of that pelvic drop, there's nothing that says with certainty, that's what's causing your injury. But when we look more globally at all of the runners who get injured, those types of mechanics are two of the primary things that we tend to see. And so in working with runners, I, I look with a fine-tooth clone as to identify what's really driving those mechanics. And there can be different reasons that people are presenting with that type of running mechanics. For performance, it's so interesting. I remember treating my first group of Olympic trials runners. And I, I thought to myself, you know, my God, they're performing at such a high level. What if I'm not able to find anything that's wrong that I'm actually able to help them with? 
And it couldn't be further from the truth. Despite their high level of performance, they have more, as a group, I would say that they present with more running mechanic issues and impairments or issues with weakness, right, and muscle imbalance than any other group of all. So there's always plenty to fix. And I really tailor my recommendations based on whether the runner is looking for injury management or injury prevention, or whether the runner is looking for performance enhancement. I think it's really interesting that the marathon trial runners were presenting with different injuries and weren't in perfect form. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that a lot of people, including myself, have the mentality that they can run through an injury. We don't even necessarily consider something an injury that could be an injury if we can keep running. Right. So for example, when I came to you to do my session, I had already had plantar fasciitis. I started training for the marathon. I, I increased my mileage too quickly. And, and then when I had plantar fasciitis, I was like, you're a typical runner. I'm going to keep running as long as I can bear the running because I don't want to ruin my race training for the New York City Marathon. And it was in August that I made a decision to start training. So just to be clear, but I had already done like several half marathons. So I was almost Mm -hmm. there. The plantar fasciitis went away right after the marathon. I was having issues swimming and I thought it was from walking my dogs. So my dogs will pull me on the leash and I injured my bicep tendon and my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I was looking over our note in the running analysis session that we did. I had no idea how lopsided I was, like how hiked up my left hip was. And it was like an aha moment for me because I think it really started with the plantar fasciitis and I trained right through it. And I went to physical therapy. My arm is better, but now since we're quarantined, I definitely have been focusing on doing way more yoga and way more strength training and exercises. Mm -hmm. Our session was so helpful in giving me some insight into why I was feeling certain pain and why maybe I had a whole chain of injuries related to something totally different and then how I could really focus on getting to a place where I could improve my form and my mechanics and be stronger when we do have races again. What were, you, what were your takeaways from my running and how could I get to the next level and fix my form? I think there are so many interesting points that you bring up, really. Starting with the most common time that we see runners get injured, experienced runners, not, not newbie runners, but experienced, accomplished runners. We see runners tend to incur injuries when they either increase their mileage or they increase their pace. And so when you push, and this is just, this is anecdotal and from my experience, but what I've observed is that we all have these, this sort of certain distance or certain pace that we can manage, right? We can manage along without incurring some sort of overuse stress injury. And then there's like a tipping point. The mechanics that we use, the movement strategy that is is inherent to our bodies gets us only so far, right? And we can sort of absorb the fact that we're, we're running with this particular set of mechanical issues. And But it's okay. We're not, you know, we're not sidelined. We're still able to do our, you know, weekly mileage. We're still able to participate in the in the races that we want to participate in. But in my experience, there does seem to be a tipping point. And that's when it's valuable to reflect 
on what might be driving the type of injury that we're seeing. For you, what I'm hearing is that like so many other runners, it becomes like you're chasing after these injuries. The plantar fasciitis goes away and then the low back pain pops up. And then the low back pain goes away and then you have this little hip discomfort. Right. And then, right. And so it can get incredibly frustrating. None of these things ever happened before I started training for the marathon. Just for the record, I was a yogi. I was doing triathlon. I did not have plantar fasciitis. I wasn't so lopsided. There was no serious imbalance. Right. So it's interesting. <laughs> I thought it was so interesting. Your comment that you wrote in the email that you were doing, that you, you even included like the, the mileage, you, you were relatively uninjured doing your triathlons, even of great distances. Right. Triathlons were substantial triathlons. Yeah. 70.3. That's it. 70.3. That was the number I was thinking of. And so that's a formidable triathlon. And yet you did not incur any injury. Never. But <laughs> increased your running mileage to 26.2. Now you started to see injuries. And I think that that has a few takeaway points. One is that it, it highlights the value of cross training. It is so invaluable to incorporate core strengthening, and other types of cross training into your running routine. And one of the struggles with, with the runners that I, with whom I work is that they really just want to run. Right. And they're really motivated to start to consider these other things, like in, including yoga into their routine, including some targeted strength training exercises, participating in a triathlon. They're only open to that once they're injured and they're they're having a, a difficult time hitting the mileage and hitting the pace that they want. What are your thoughts on telling runners they need to stop running? When it comes to working with runners is that what I hear, especially from female runners, is that the number of people who've said you'd need to just stop running is so surprising because the reality, in my opinion, is that the number of times that runners actually have to stop running there's no question. I, they don't need to be told that they need to stop running. Their bodies make them stop. And I can give you a very specific example. Okay. The only times where you'll hear me tell a runner that I'm working with that they're probably going to need to stop is if they incur a bony stress injury. Bony stress injuries start with an, an inflammation within the bone that if ignored, and the stresses remain on that long bone or on that foot bone will and can turn into a, a proper fracture. And so the idea of a bony stress injury, there's a spectrum, right? Where you actually have a true fractured bone, a hairline fracture, that's sort of your end point. But before that actually happens, you see on imaging studies that there's some inflammation happening. There's some stress at that bone. And that if you ignore it, it can become an occult fracture. For those runners, the conversation that I typically have is, I understand that you have your half marathon coming up. Your choice is to hold on that race and rehab probably for the next two to three weeks where you're going to need to decrease your running volume substantially. And then we'll be able to get you back to it. Or 
you can run that race. I'm not sure that your body will let you finish because the pain may become so incredible that you'll physically have to stop. In which case, on the other side of that, now we're looking at six to eight weeks in a boot. Right. Is that like shin splints? Yeah. The start of a bony stress injury is a shin splint. We're getting some abnormal imaging on that bone. And if you, if you disregard it and you continue to put stress on it, then you're heading down the road of a stress fracture. I would definitely downshift my running if I saw signs of a stress fracture. I'm really glad that wasn't one of the things I came to the Columbia Run Lab to figure out. But that being said, being at the Columbia Run Lab was really game-changing for my running. Being able to analyze my form, my gait and all of my mechanics. It made me really think about my running and I wasn't going to stop running, but I just thought Mm -hmm. one of the things like with triathlon is that you cross train, like you said, and I really have been wanting to find more time to strength train and do some heavy lifting and also focus on my core and get back to yoga. I wasn't wishing for being (laughs) quarantined, but you know, I was really trying to find that time because I knew after our session, I was training for another marathon. I felt like it was going in a bad direction for me. I knew I could do it and I wanted to beat my time from New York City because it was like the worst time. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that I wanted to continue running beyond this marathon. And I recognized that the only way for me to be a better runner was to take a few steps back and focus on another part of my body. It's very interesting. And I think it's incredibly powerful for a runner to see themselves running. One of the most valuable experiences of running analysis is to visualize what your running mechanics actually looks like and to be able to have the technology to slow down each frame to really see what's happening as that leg is loaded. I think it's so powerful. Just like you said that there's a real wow factor. I, our job through the Run Lab experience is not done unless every runner leaves feeling a strong sense of a wow factor. I mean, that's a successful night. Walk me through the process and all the tests that you do at the Run Lab, because even though I experienced it, I want to hear it from, from you. Yeah, we spend the first half of the evening doing running specific physical examination. So we look at foot and ankle mechanics, weighted and unweighted. So we're looking at the, how is it that the small bones and joints within the foot are moving? What's your flexibility? What happens when you load the foot? What does that look like? And then we look at running specific strength and flexibility. So one of the most common things that we see is a muscle imbalance pattern of weakness in the glute max muscle, right? Everybody's got sleepy glutes and everybody's got tight hip flexors. It's a gross overgeneralization, but it really seems to be omnipresent. And so we're looking for what are some of the elements that are musculoskeletal related that might be driving some of the more common pathomechanics that we tend to see in runners who get injured. I also include the functional movement screen And I have a video analysis room and use state-of-the-art technology to capture in real time cadence and double flight time and, and really some of the raw data, the running metrics for everyone. 
And of course, we have the video. The video experience is really, truly next level. And the analysis, that was really awesome. Yeah, I think that's where the real magic happens is where we all come together as a team. So at Columbia Run Lab, we have one or more than one physical therapist leading the evening and have doctoral students participating as well. And the entire team, which can be upwards of 10, 11, 12, 13 people, and typically three runners in a night, will all convene. And that roundtable discussion happens. We put all of the runners' videos up on a large screen, and we look to see in real time uh, what might be driving the injuries that this runner is complaining of. Or if it's somebody who's interested in coming for performance enhancement, what are we seeing that might cause a decline in performance? So a lot of times runners will come and be asking questions like, well, how can I improve my performance and improve my time without having to train harder? I'm already training with a coach. I'm working really hard. I'm not getting the times that I want. So things like vaulting or excessive, you know, upward excursion instead of, you know, driving your run forward. You know, there are, there are specific variables that we look for in our runners that might cause an, a, a decrease in performance. And so we talk about that in real time. It's not as if, I mean, it's really this wonderful, like sort of sudden death experience where, you know, we come in with none of the answers and in real time and with an audience of type A, incredibly well runners, right? Yes. We sort of pull back the covers on the analysis process and bring along every runner as we're doing the detective work of uncovering what's driving this injury or what's causing a performance decline. And so we corroborate our findings on video with what we found in physical exam with why the runner's there in the first place. Are they there for performance enhancement? Do they have an injury that they can't get rid of? And they've seen five or six PTs. By and large, I would say that that's the vast majority of the patients and runners that I work with. Or are they newbie runners and they want to just start this right? And then all of that is a conversation. Sprinkled within that conversation is the context of evidence-based practice. So where science meets practice, what does the running literature or research suggest is relevant in this context? Yes, I have 20 years of experience in working as, a, as an orthopedic physical therapist, so my own experience counts, but let's bring some data in and support our claims and our suggestions and our recommendations with whatever available evidence is out there. And that sort of sums up the experience. And I think it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I would love to get more specific and talk about foot strike and running mechanics. Also, is there an optimal way we should all be running? Is there an ideal way runners should be landing? And is heel striking bad? What a challenging and loaded question. I love, I think all of those questions are relevant. And I think for an audience of runners, all of the conversation out there in the running community about issues surrounding foot strike and running mechanics, I think it's the question to ask. And in my opinion, there is no one-size-fits-all running form. Instead, I think we really need to optimize the specific running mechanics that uh, the runner in front of me is presenting with. I mean, I'll give you an example. There was a Olympic trials qualifier who I worked with 
who qualified for the Olympic trials on four separate occasions. That's 16 years of Olympic level running. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That's performance with strong health, right? And so I think it highlights how carefully I and our team makes our recommendations in terms of what it is that runners should actually be changing. Because for example, in that runner's case, he presented with the most exaggerated foot pronation that I have ever seen in my 20 years as a physical therapist. Wow. And yet he was performing at, the, at an ultra high level over a course of many years successfully. And so I think that highlights how our bodies are able to attenuate the forces of running in very different ways. And so we need to be strategic about what recommendations we're making, because I believe that you can make runners worse by trying to fit every body type and every running form into a one size fits all. And I think it's where the val the genuine value of a personalized experience comes into play. I think without that larger roundtable discussion and cross-checking all of these variables, well, what did we find on physical exam? Why is it that this person is presenting with decreased hip extension? Why is it that they're running with, you know, presenting with a heel strike and it looks like this, but this other runner's heel strike looks like this. Like, why is that? And finding those answers and then really making our recommendations surrounding that, that's how you get runners better. And when I started asking those types of questions early on in my career, after that example that I gave you, where I, I saw my first couple of runners and totally failed with them. Once I started looking at it from a very different perspective, I've never had so much success in any group of athletes in keeping them healthy. I think it's a really powerful thing. So to your question, I don't believe that there's specific one size fits all form, but there are lots of, there are lots of recommendations in terms of uh, directions we should move. I think it would be a good time to turn toward. Great example is, is the one that you brought up of, you know, what about, let's not talk about running form globally. Let's talk about it specifically. What about foot strike pattern? You know, should we be running barefoot? Should we be, you know, heel striking? Is heel striking the devil of all running? Uh, you know, these are the kinds of questions that the runners that I work with have. And I think they're valid ones. Yeah. I mean, I always say, oh, I'm a heel striker. Don't judge me. <laughs> and then I laugh like that because it's true. Like I feel, you know, I know it's bad, but I do it. I think also I was mentally trying to shift my foot strike in my all these things I'm trying to think about and, and then I'm like why am I doing that is it so bad and then I did my set my running analysis with you and it turns out it wasn't that bad there's other things that are worse but like perspective is everything so ha let's focus on the, on foot strike for a moment so I, I think you raise a great point that there is this perception for some runners that heel striking is bad like you know I, ap apologizing for your heel striking I, th I think that's a that's a misconception. Um, what we do know from the running literature is that um, there are three variables that seem to be relevant uh, in how our foot hits the ground um, that is related to impact. So if you think about for a moment and get in your mind the mental image of, say, like a gazelle 
Right. You know, those runners that are just so light on their feet, they're flying by, you know, everyone else as they're like just floating up the hill they're, They look so light on their feet. Now picture the, the image of that runner who's really hitting the ground so hard. And with every step, it just looks like, oh, I'm not sure you should really be doing this. Right. right? I mean, you can see that you can, we've seen those runners out in Central Park. Yes. Um, and so the, the, the main difference between those two, one of the significant differences is how much impact the lower extremity or the foot and the ankle and the knee is experiencing as that gazelle-like runner hits the ground with their foot versus the other runner. Okay. And so the, we know that um, the impact is greater if we are heel striking with a very exaggerated an uh, angle, meaning when your foot first hits the ground, when it just kisses the ground, you're a heel striker if the part of the foot that touches first, you're a midfoot striker if it's more of a, a flat foot kind of land and it's the middle of your foot that touches first. And you're a forefoot striker if that the, the sort of the balls of your feet, um, that section of the foot hits the ground first. That's how we distinguish um, those different categories. But what matters much more than which category you fall into is the angle at which that foot lands. So if you are a heel striker, meaning the heel hits the ground first and your toes are pointed clear up to the sky and that knee is very straight as you first land, you are going to experience substantially more impact through the foot and the lower leg than if you still were a heel striker but landed with a more flat foot. So that's called contact angle. And that is a really substantial element in terms of how much impact we experience. Interesting, on the reverse side of that curve, if you're a forefoot runner and it's your forefoot that hits first, you also experience exponentially greater impact if your toe is pointed downward and you're hitting the ground at a very exaggerated four foot strike angle rather than being a four foot strike runner and landing relatively flat, right? Having a very relatively flat angle. And by angle, I mean, what's the angle that you, the last of your, of your sneaker makes with the, with the ground. Okay. It's relatively low. The three most relevant elements without question are what's the angle that, that your foot is hitting the ground? That's your contact angle. How much knee flexion do you have when you hit the ground? So you want about 20 degrees rather than having a very, very straight knee when you first hit the ground. And you're also looking at how far out does that foot land in front of you? Right. So if you land very far out in front of you and you have a very straight knee and your toes are pointed straight up to the sky with a very high contact angle, that's termed overstriding. That's the second category of folks who really tend to get injured. Is there a way for people to look at this at home? And are there a few exercises that people can can do on their own to kind of start looking at the way that they're running? Definitely. I really encourage that. I, I don't believe that every runner needs to come in for an extensive running analysis 
to get some valuable answers. And I always encourage runners to do a self-assessment and it's simple. You need to set up your iPhone. If you can do, if you have access to a treadmill, that's probably easier, although you can do it on overground running as well. Set up your iPhone. If you have the option of uh, recording in slow motion, do that. Um, place the iPhone uh, on the side of the treadmill so that you can get a side view of your running. So you get a, a right side view, a left side view, and then place the iPhone in front of the treadmill so you can see your own knees and hips or pelvis as you're running. And there are some real specific and simple things that you're looking for. You're looking to see in that front view, does the knee drift in? And does the one side of that pelvis drop down, right? So my, my right foot hits the ground. I'm loading that all of my body weight onto that right, right leg. Does that left side of the pelvis drop down because my, my core and my hips just aren't strong enough and stable enough to hold it up? Those are two really primary things that we tend to see in runners who get injured, and they're easy to look for. And they're easy um, to fix, right? In my opinion, they're very fixable. From the side view, that's where you're going to look for things like, do are you getting enough hip extension? Our overstriders tend to run very, have, have all of their movement in front of them, meaning they reach too far out in front when that heel touches the ground. Your foot should land relatively under your body. It should be relatively a straight line when your foot first hits the ground. You can see this very clearly in a side view of your running. Next, you want to look at how much of an angle does my foot, the bottom of my foot, make with the ground as it first touches. That's that contact angle. It should be relatively flat. And then finally, in my experience, we tend to see overstriders present with decreased hip extension. What that means is as you're pushing off, just before your leg is going to lift off and you're going to go into flight, right? Just as you're pushing off, does the hip actually get behind you? In most of our runners, we see that there's real hip restriction and they're not able to get that leg, really extend that leg behind them. There are a few different reasons that that may be true. It could be because of tight hip flexors. It could, um, you know, it could be because of poor uh, uh, limited glute strength. Um, it could be their running form. There are different reasons that can drive that, but it's something worth looking at. And every one of these elements is manageable. Right. And it kind of all goes back to strength training and building a strong core from the beginning, from the get-go. From the get-go. So many of our runners are have really impressive times and are really strong runners, yet if you ask them to activate max muscle, they can't do it, for example. I mean, it's really interesting. You ask somebody to activate transverses abdominis muscle, one of the deep core muscles that provides good stability through the pelvis and the, and the core. Our runners can't do it. And I think it speaks to just how beautifully and impressively our bodies can overcome and compensate. If the will is there, we're going to figure out a way to do it. And we find workarounds, but then these workarounds tend to catch up with us. I think that's 100% true. And I see from my own experience and other runners that when you start to bring an awareness 
And I actually think this kind of, for me, it at least stems from yoga and really understanding anatomy and your body and how your muscles and bones move together and how you can open your hips or open mm-hmm. your stride or being bring, but bringing that awareness to what you're doing, it really is a game changer. You know, it might make you a little bit self-conscious when you're running because you're sitting there thinking about how you're landing on your foot, how you're moving or are your hips opening or your shoulders level or, you know, are you crossing the midline? But all those things are so important and have an important place in your training as an athlete. Mm-hmm. When it's really hot out and you're dying, like that's a good time to think about your form because you distract yourself. <laughs> and I got this from Gwen Jorgensen and she was always like, you know, focus on your form when you're suffering in other ways. I've started to really like think about that across all sports. How, what's my form like? That's what I always come back to. I think that's helpful for people just generally. I agree 100%. And I, I loved listening to, to you talk that through because it's so interesting to hear it from an athlete's point of view. I come at that same idea from the point of view of rehabilitation, right? So how do we rehab an injury? And in my experience, one of the most powerful things is when you equip a runner with some tools that they can use out there when they're starting to get tired, when they're hitting the hills, when they're starting to feel pain, and they can sort of tighten up their form or freshen up their form with different running drills, right? Or what's called real-time running drills or real-time gait retraining. And the most powerful piece of that is when it eliminates the pain that they are complaining of, right? Our runners who complain of iliotibial band syndrome and they feel like, oh, there it is. I'm at mile nine of, you know, 13.1. And I feel like I have a screwdriver just in the side of my knee. And I just, I don't want to stop. I'm not going to stop, right? And they've had their MRI and, you know, orthopedic surgeon says it's a perfectly clean knee. There's nothing there. And yet they have this excruciating pain. If you do some glute squeezes to minimize the dynamic knee valgus and maximize your pelvic alignment, nine times out of 10, that eliminates that pain during the run. And I think that's incredibly powerful. As an athlete, you really need to be able to understand and connect with the muscles in your body to get them to work for you when you really need them to. It's, it yeah. is challenging. Like I've, I've been there, like I've been climbing a hill and felt like I'm using all the wrong muscles, but I just can't get my hamstrings or I can't get my glute med to activate. There's things you can do, right, to do that, but you have to know them. I love that idea of drawing on these other experiences to sort of help you get through whatever that, that mile is that you're at, that where you're struggling and where you feel like your form is sort of unraveling. Yeah. Um, what comes to mind in yoga is would be, say, warrior two, right? For our medial collapsers where the, the knee is really drifting in, in warrior two, we're really trying to make sure that that knee is flexed and is over that second toe and is in good alignment with the pelvis. Right. Um, we don't want that knee to drift in. We want to really focus on good alignment. And I think that that just illustrates another great example of where, you know, this sort of cross training, um, it really educates our muscles and primes them. So when it comes time to being fatigued, 
we have something that we can draw on to sort of reset ourselves. And even if you're not injured, I think there's a lot of value in that. And so just what distracts you and gets you across that finish line. Yeah, that is true. I'm also a yoga teacher. Like I have a 500 hour yoga teacher training certification. And actually, when I took the certification and did that, I was really into yoga and practicing with my friend Eddie Stern, Ashtanga, which I've practiced for many, many years. As soon as I stopped practicing, it was game over. And I think the yoga gave me the awareness to be able to keep my body a certain way and understanding like exactly what you said with your knee tracking over your second toe and your, but yet your hips are open. And then the action of like opening your hips and closing your hips, like warrior one, warrior two, or being able to open up your back and open up your chest. As a runner, we don't come with that kind of awareness, I think. I agree. My first couple of visits with any experienced runner are always the most challenging because I'm asking for them to draw on movement and muscle activity that they just don't typically use. And it's really what's driving whatever injury they're presenting with. But it's so difficult. And in my experience, that when we can bring an athlete or really a patient to that point of that feather edge of, wow, this is incredibly hard and I'm only doing five repetitions of it, that's when you get buy-in, right? I mean, I've seen clamshell, the clamshell exercise runners work hundred times and I, it can be the simplest exercise in the world and feel too easy. But if you're doing it correctly and we've correctly identified where your specific weakness is, well, it's not just not just glute medius let's cue up transverse abdominus at the same time here's the position that you need to maintain now try to do that clamshell and you can barely crank out five of them now really getting at what's weak and what needs to be um what movement pattern needs to be retrained yeah i got some great exercises from the running analysis from your team which was really helpful and clamshell was one of them it was like an aha moment and it was like things that I have been hearing and thinking, but I just was in like total denial of doing. And then I, I got it. And I was like, okay, the message is clear. Clamshell, <laughs> running, leaning forward, glute bridges. Those are all things that are so important. Mm-hmm. What are you doing now not being at the run lab? We've paused run lab only because the hospital, Columbia University, right. or Medical Center and Wild Cornell uh, Medical Center have suspended all outpatient services that's just starting to relaunch so i'm so thrilled that we're going to be able to get back up and running for run lab soon i don't have an exact date but i'm i'm hopeful that it'll be soon i will figure something out i will figure out a way to to make that work we are doing telehealth through our faculty practice but i haven't retooled the run lab experience to a telehealth model because we've really only missed just a couple of a couple of months seems like we will be in the situation come fall, then I will. And my motivation for doing that is because I really love it. It's right. a passion project. I, I think it's just this incredible learning experience, this really unusual learning context. You know, I, I just, I miss working with runners. I'll certainly retool if I have to. I'm hoping that I don't have to. I'm hoping that we'll be, you know, we'll get going soon. Are you also seeing people with COVID or like, are you going into the office and rehabilitating? I saw that on your website, but I wasn't sure if you were part of that team, helping people in their recovery process. Right. 
lot of physical therapists who are on the post-COVID recovery team. I'm not doing any inpatient work at this point in my career. I'm right. primarily um, full-time faculty, so I'm teaching orthopedics specifically of the spine. And, and I also teach applied physiology. So this transition into running over the last, I don't know, 12 years or so has really been this wonderful arc of my career. And so it sort of combines all of this, right? We need to understand spinal mechanics in order to help patients get back to running. We need to understand so many elements of it. And I think it's really my whole 20 years as a PT has culminated in this run lab experience in this sort of spectacular way. When I say I miss it, I, I really do miss it. I look forward to getting back to it soon. And are all your classes online? Like Yes, all of our, our classes have been online since the end of spring. Right. Of the spring semester. They will be online through the summer and we're awaiting word as to whether or not they'll be online in the fall. My fingers are crossed that they won't be. I miss our students. I'm sure. I feel like everybody is feeling a little bit stir crazy and missing the people that they're usually connected with. How you're doing in your running now? Running in the city is hard. I live in Battery Park and I usually run on the waterfront up the West Side Highway and into the park if I'm going to run like a longer distance. And then also I'll go to the track on the east side, but I'll run there. I don't want to be near anyone. I've been running in the street up the sidewalks, up Greenwich and Washington and up towards Christopher. And then it's actually been really cool. I mean, it's hard on my body, you know, just trying to run over the cobblestone and on the sidewalks. And I'm not the most coordinated person. So I have to be super careful. I'm getting out there. And I finally I started making these running videos because, you know, you've got to be on Instagram. And so it's been entertaining me at the very least. I'm not really taking running very seriously right now. I did my first eight mile run the other day. You're a runner. I mean, are you still on the front runners team? So we moved out to suburbia in the last few years. And this is really the first time that I've been thankful that I live in suburbia. Yes. And I honestly think that this could be an entirely different podcast. I just hit five miles for the first like postpartum time. And my daughter's four and a half. Oh, really? Yeah. So I I really struggled. And I I really, it's funny, like I really didn't say too much about it. I mean, I would cross train in other ways. So fitness has always been important. You know, I've been a lifelong athlete, but after I had my daughter, it just was inc- like the, the postpartum complications and getting back to running have been really difficult. And what's hopeful is that I've seen that there is this proliferation of pelvic health physical therapists and that as a conversation, that as an as a body of knowledge, which I think is, you know, just as a woman, I think is really heartening because it's 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 just a conversation that in the past simply hasn't happened. So I'm I'm glad to see that I'm even more thrilled that I hit that five mile mark and I'm on my way to my favorite distance, which is the 10K distance. But it was it was incredibly difficult. It was incredibly difficult. So I'm I'm so it took a global pandemic, but I did it. <laughs> so now you're running again. That's great. You know, I was only able to to keep a lower a lower mileage and I was able to go, you know, I would go multiple times a week, but it wasn't anything like it was unrecognizable compared to the running that I you know, have typically done over the last 10 years. So I'm thrilled. Which distance do you like? I I really enjoy the half marathon distance for my body. That just, it works well for me and it just feels good. I enjoy that. My favorite distance is the 10K distance. I like playing with my 
performance and my pace and my speed. I also really enjoy biking. So I've done a number of triathlons, which I've enjoyed. I'm a strong swimmer. So so we moved toward near, uh, we're near the ocean. We're near Sandy Hook, not too far. Okay. But we've done a couple of triathlons out there. They had the women's dance skin triathlon, which is just incredible. And that was wonderful. And so I'm just thrilled to be back at a, at a mileage that, you know, I'm able to run for, I I see the half marathon distance in my future again, thankfully. So if I can get to five, I can, I'll be fine. And now are you taking, obviously taking your own advice about increasing your distance and consistency and mileage, right? Yes. I'm, I'm no stranger to injury. And so I, I've been really careful about doing it. And, you know, I, I started with some core work. I started with yoga for the first time in a long time. I'm, I'm back to doing that. So I, it's been wonderful. It's been, we're very lucky. I'm lucky that we're both employed. I'm lucky that I can be here with my daughter at home. I'm lucky that we have the space that we do. It's, you know, it, it's not a fortunate time for most. And right. so even though it's challenging and I hear my, you know, little one running around and popping into all of my Zoom meeting calls. Like I have the perspective to know that we're very fortunate and we're doing okay. So that's great. And you asked me about New York City. I mean, it, on one hand, it's great being in the city because everything is is accessible, but it's also like you really feel this pandemic at a, a deep magnitude, really intense in the city. Is it quiet where you live? You're near Sandy Hook, you said, or you're in Sandy Hook? No, we're just we're just outside. We're like 15 minutes from. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredibly quiet. We have land and parks, and it's it's really it's a whole different lifestyle. I miss New York City every single day of my life. <laughs> I know it's like well, that's what we had like this big conversation. I mean, it's a trade off, right? And actually, when I did the running analysis with you, I was getting my Ironman certification for coaching, which I got. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'll coach anyone, but yeah, I did it. From afar. Yes, from afar. I can get, motivate um, people to exercise. I don't know if I can like run with them, but yeah. You also do a ton of pro bono work at Columbia Run Lab. Tell me more about this program. When I first thought about launching this Run Lab experience, there were a couple of tenets that were absolutes. And, you know, one was clinical excellence. The, the, there needs to be a wow factor for every runner that leaves that experience. The other is student development. Having the doctoral students as part of this experience is critical. I think it's a really interesting experiential learning model and unusual. And folks would be challenged to find something that's similar anywhere in the country. It's a very unique learning model. But the third was really having a pro bono piece. And my perception of running is that at times, I mean, one of the things I love about it is that it's for all, like anyone can start a running program, anyone, regardless of socioeconomic status, but not anybody can afford a running analysis. And so for as, as many years as we've been open, I've tried my best to pair one monthly experience with one monthly pro bono experience where we sort of open our doors to groups or folks that use running in meaningful ways. So for example, we've had the um, the Wounded Warrior group come out a couple of times. Uh, many combat veterans use endurance running to manage PTSD symptoms. Mm-hmm. These I want to get in. We've had we've hosted girls on the run a number of times. 
locally in Washington Heights, we've hosted a New York Road Runners, uh, Young Runners group. I love them. Yeah. Right. Like totally talented, entirely under-resourced group of kids, just super talented. It was such a privilege to get to work with them and just otherwise wouldn't have had that opportunity. And so are you looking for more organizations to work with pro bono like that? That door is always open. Yes. This was great. Thank you so much. Oh, Marnie, I so enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks again for tuning into Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. <laughs>